Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Double Double. Speaking with you today is Kelly Hogan and David Dixon. David, how's everything? It's going great, Kel. Going great. Loving the feedback we've been getting on the pod. Really enjoying doing it. If you wouldn't mind, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate five stars. Five stars only. Yes, sir. So jumping right into it. Zion, we, we all saw what happened the other day, how he busted through his Paul George pair of Nikes and sprained his knee in a pretty dramatic fashion 36 seconds into the Dukes game against North Carolina. Just kind of jumping off right there, David. If you're Zion, would you come back at all this year or would you kind of just hang it up and, and you know call it, a, call it a career at Duke and get ready for the NBA? I would definitely come back and play for Duke and finish out what you started. It's, I feel like it would almost be unfair to his teammates and to the school to, to bail, not really bail, but to, but to shut it down because it really was a fluky freak, like the shoe exploded. Like that's just something that probably will never happen again. And I just think that what he's done at Duke and just dominated college basketball is that he would just, if he kept that going through the NCAA tournament, it would just be an awesome experience for all of us who'd be watching. And then also just an incredible experience for him in his, in his life going through the NCAA tournament and trying to win a national championship, which is something that very few people get to do in their lives. And I think shutting it down over this weird fluke shoe breaking on him would just be unfair to Duke and, and kind of unfair to himself and limiting maybe his potential opportunities. If I were Zion, which I'm not, I'm not 6'7", 285, and can jump through the roof. But if I were, I would definitely play. But ultimately, I think Zion should do what Zion wants to do. And that sounds, you know, pretty corny. But at this point in time, he's he's the number one pick in the draft. And, you know, there are some questions in terms of his body and his shooting and whatnot. But his, his ceiling right now is immeasurable. I disagree with what you're saying that that he's the lock for the number one pick if he if he truly does shut it down because I think that Duke is still really good and as R.J. Barrett showed against Syracuse yesterday and in that North Carolina game and really what he's been showing all season is that Barrett is still just an awesome player in his own right and coming into the season everyone thought Barrett was going to be the hands down number one selection. And if Barrett goes out and crushes it in the ACC tournament and leads Duke to the Elite Eight, the Final Four, you know, scoring 30 points a game, I think there'll be a huge push for Barrett to be pick number one, let alone if John Morant keeps doing awesome things. I think that if Zion truly shuts it down, it's, it's leaving the door open for these other super talented players to, to come in and get all the momentum going towards the draft for that number one pick. I think R.J. Barrett belongs in that conversation, but I think ultimately there's going to be so much pressure on these GMs to take Zion that whether they really think Zion's ceiling as a prospect is higher than that of Jean Morant or R.J. Barrett, that they're going to kind of be pressured into taking Zion because the owner and the fan base are going to be kind of clamoring for Zion. But R.J. Barrett, man, he's, he's not turning 19 until I think it's like a week or so before the draft. He's young. He's he's putting up like twenty three, eight and four at Duke, and that 
I mean, that raw production is pretty insane from a college freshman. He's also uh, he's also crushed it in the international FIBA competitions too with with Team Canada. Yeah, and that, the the situation at Duke is not even ideal for him. He's a bit ball hoggy at times, but he really doesn't have any shooters around him. So the spacing is lacking outside of Cam Reddish. Zion's not a shooter. They they just took the red shirt off that kid Joey Baker cuz they they're so deprived of shooting. Given his circumstances, I think RJ Barrett ultimately does belongs in that conversation for the number 1 overall pick, but I think regardless of what Zion does, I think Zion's kind of already cemented in stone as the number 1 overall pick. And I just kind of want to talk about your thoughts on Zion's potential shoe deal because uh, Nike's kind of going to have to kind of save face and pay him, you know, because if he goes off and signs with Adidas or signs with Puma or signs with any other brand out there, it's it's not going to be a good look for Nike. Yeah, I think that the dark horse for Zion is that no one's talking about is Under Armour. Because I think that they're definitely looking for that second, you know, superstar basketball player to really promote. Because they have, obviously, Steph Curry. And I think if they got Zion, that would truly, for their brand, because they could go all in and give him a lot of money and attention, the way that they were able to for Curry. I don't really see Puma being able to do that on a national level, because I just, as basketball players ourselves, I, I think it would take a lot for the two of us to buy Puma basketball shoes. And and the same thing for Adidas as well. I feel like if Un, and, and Under Armour could also realistically, because the Curry shoes are awesome shoes to play in and they look good. And if Under Armour went to Zion and said, "Hey, we're going to give you a signature shoe and pay you a lot of money," I think he'd be really. I mean, I would be tempted to do that. And like you said, with Nike. I think it would have. I think it'd be really interesting to see if Nike goes right off the bat with a signature shoe for Zion, because of the of this incident wearing the Paul George sneakers. Maybe Zion will just not wear the Paul Georges anymore and sign with Nike, which I think is probably the most realistic option that will happen. But you know, time will tell. Zion's also a guy who played on the Adidas circuit in in high school and went to a Nike college. So. Who knows what he'll do as he hasn't expressed a lot of, you know, the quote-unquote brand loyalty and staying with the one brand in AAU and college teams. So it should be interesting to see what, what all these sneaker deals and sneaker companies decide to do because it's all going to get leaked out. The, the numbers are pretty substantial because, you know, these rookies, his contract when, when he's drafted by an NBA team is somewhere in the ballpark of four years with a team option for – anywhere from like 32 to probably 40 million dollars and these shoe deals just for some context when lebron came out of high school his shoe deal was seven years 90 million and i've just been kind of reading online that zion could be in the neighborhood of eight years for 100 million and i also think it's really interesting too because no matter who he signs with it's going to be a huge deal and He's really, as you were saying, like the only guy in this year's class and in, and in recent classes who can really command that type of marketing attention from one of these major shoe companies right off the bat. And I think a lot of it also depends on which team he's drafted to and which market he goes to. Because if he's playing in New York or Chicago, if they win the lottery, it will only jack up the, the presumptive price for Zion. Then, then let's say that you know Phoenix wins the lottery, or uh, 
somehow he ends up, you know, in like a market like Charlotte or Indiana. It, it would be it's it, it would be an interesting thought experiment to wonder, you know, LeBron obviously signed a huge sneaker deal coming out of high school, but like what would it have been if he was if he went with the Lakers coming out of high school instead of the Cavs? I would want to ink that shoe deal prior to the draft lottery. So sometime between when Duke either wins the national championship or gets bounced, sometime between then and May 14th, which is the date of the NBA draft lottery, Zion should sign a shoe deal because there's still the likelihood that a New York or a Chicago wins the draft lottery and selects Zion at one. And they can kind of hold that over the heads of Under Armour and Nike saying, hey, you know, he could be in one of these big markets rather than Phoenix or Memphis or, or even Cleveland. Yeah, it'll be definitely really, really interesting uh, to follow. Before we kind of talk, touch on a couple of guys who we're keeping an eye on down down the home stretch here, I had a couple scenarios I wanted to throw at you of of would you rather. The, the way I kind of thought of these or, or wrote these up was if you were starting a team from scratch, which player would you select? So not it's dependent upon what system it depends what pieces are around him but just if you are starting a team and you can have player x or player y which player are you choosing and why is it now is it just for this season or is it for the future x number of years so the first one that i'm going to give you is for this season and then after we get through that the second one we could say for now and for moving forward so first one i'm going to throw at you you're starting a team. Would you rather have Bradley Beal or Clay Thompson? That's a tough one. But I would probably choose Clay Thompson. Just from the from what he provides defensively as well, that he guards the other team's best player or the best guard for the other teams with the Warriors. He he competes defensively. He's an awesome offensive player. Doesn't need the ball, doesn't need to take a lot of dribbles to really be effective. It'd be interesting to see him on a team without Curry and Durant to see how effective he could be, but I still think he'll be an all-star level player and play great defense without those guys. So to win this season, I'd probably pick Klay Thompson over Bradley Beal. Interesting. We disagree. I I would pick Bradley Beal. You think Klay Thompson will be an all-star in that scenario? And I know it's kind of unfair because he's never been in that scenario, but we know Bradley Beal is an all-star in that scenario. Klay fits better in the context of Golden State, I think, than Bradley Beal was because Clay doesn't need the rock. Clay can spot up and shoot and Clay can defend. Yeah. I I just value Thompson's defense more than Beal, so I'll sacrifice just a little bit on offense. Because Beal is a very good shot maker and shot creator for himself. And that's just kind of a role that Thompson never has had to prove he can do. So so we don't know if he can do it, but based on what we've seen is that we're just going to assume that that's just not his game. But I just think that what Thompson brings defensively, to, because to really win in the NBA, you really have to shut down other teams' dominant ball-handling point guards and, and shooting guards. So someone who can guard a Kyrie Irving or a James Harden. And Thompson is, has proven that he can do that. So I think that gives him just, just a slight edge over all-star Bradley Beal. I think I choose Beal, and, and I'll let you have Thompson. And then so, so moving on to the second one, though, this one I think is pretty interesting, and I'm curious to see what you think. Would you rather have Ben Simmons or Carl Anthony Towns? Wow. Now that that's a great question. I I think that for this season, 
I would probably take Towns over Simmons if I was just trying to win this year. Because I think think Towns impacts the game offensively and can hurt you in a larger variety of ways, while his defense still needs a lot of work. And mainly just from playing hard on defense, I've been very surprised that Thibodeau hasn't improved him defensively because he has a lot of potential. But I just think that offensively, Towns impacts the game in a more in a larger variety of ways than Ben Simmons does, and he also plays for a worse team. I agree with you that I'm taking Carl Anthony Towns. If Ben Simmons could shoot, this is a kind of a different conversation because I think I disagree with what you said that Carl Anthony Towns affects the game in more ways. I think Ben Simmons affects the game in more ways, but I think Carl Anthony Towns is more effective in certain aspects of his game. You could make the argument that he's the most talented offensive big man in the game. Anthony Davis is surely a better defender than Carl Anthony Towns. Towns' defense has been criticized for sure, but just from an offensive perspective, I think Carl Anthony Towns' skill set is kind of undeniable. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting, and, and I agree with you that, that Simmons does affect the game in so many ways, offensively and defensively, but I just think that Towns scores on all three levels and I think right now that's probably more valuable. And Simmons, you know, this is probably an unfair criticism, but he's been able to play with Embiid his whole career thus far, and a guy like Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. And so even though Towns has, has played with Butler and didn't, you know, that was probably the worst year of his career for a variety of reasons, mainly stemming from I think that Jimmy Butler is just not a very good teammate. But... Towns puts up numbers when he's the only guy on the team, and, and I think that if, if, if I'm trying to find one guy as that building block, I know Towns has will put up numbers. I don't know if I'll be winning that much this season, but he'll be able to, to keep us competitive in a lot of games offensively, which, which I don't know that Ben Simmons could be able to do right now this season. But, but to answer your, the second part of this question, in the long term, I would, I would take Ben Simmons. So you're a believer that he's going to get that jump shot turned around? Yeah, I'm, I'm just a believer that these 21-year-olds who it's their job to play basketball, that he'll find a way to to make 35% of his three-pointers by year five or six. Like Jason Kidd entered the league, he couldn't shoot by the end of his career. He was one of the all-time leaders in, in three-point shots. So. He has to break up with Kendall Jenner, but um, but um, I have faith that these guys, when they're professionals, you know, he's he's a professional basketball player. Like he'll improve his his jump shooting. You you've got to you've got to take him to make him though. I think that is a major hurdle. Like this, he's he's. I'm not sure if he's afraid of embarrassment or what, but he's not even willing to take these jump shots. Making them is one thing, or the inability to make them is one thing, but the inability or lack of trying is entirely another and if if we were guaranteed that ben simmons jump shot were to come around then i'm taking ben simmons over carl anthony towns because the only thing standing between ben simmons and the lebron james of his prime is a jump shot that's a bold statement but i really think if ben simmons had a jump shot he's basically lebron 2.0 I'm just I'm just betting on the fact that I'm not sure his jump shot is ever going to get to the point where you know teams are going to have to respect him from mid range, let alone the three point line. Yeah, you know I 
I don't think he's going to start taking jump shots this year. I think next year will be the real judge of with the whole offseason because I think he'll again struggle in the postseason and the Sixers probably won't reach their full potential due to his lack of, as you're saying, not making jump shots, but the lack of even attempting them. So I think next season will, will really be the big judge to see if he starts taking those jumpers. And I think that what he should do is spend the whole summer really working on that jump shot and building confidence in it because he can dominate the game driving to the hoop and passing the ball as as we've seen. And I think now it's just up to him to prove that he can take those those jumpers and and make them because that's like the next step in, in his development. I thought that would have happened this past summer and it didn't and that's why I was a little discouraged but it's we also kind of have to remember that this he's a, he's in his third year as a pro but second year playing and to already be an all-star is is pretty incredible so we got to kind of keep things in perspective but in the in in the context of this question I'm, I'm still taking Carl Anthony Towns interesting Do, just are you concerned by the fact that Towns hasn't really played on a winning team that much does that concern you or no no, because a lot of I mean a lot of these guys when they're younger their teams don't really have much success. LeBron didn't make the playoffs until year three. Durant struggled with with the Sonics, and then even in the early days of the Thunder, these high profile guys are drafted into poor situations, and it's it's kind of bestowed upon them to to turn things around. So I think it's okay to give Carl Towns you know five or six years. Look at look at Anthony Davis. What really has he done to have success from a team perspective? So. I think it's it's not totally fair to kind of criticize these guys for lack of team success when you know there's a reason they were picked number one overall. It's because the teams before they arrived were, were pretty bad, and they're kind of in the process of, of turning things around. So, moving on to kind of our last our last topic, we want to hit on. We each have three or four guys who not necessarily are all-stars or guys who are household names, but guys that we are keeping an eye on? Yeah, so so the first guy I want to talk about is, is Karis LeVert because he was doing great. He had a great start to the season. He looked like a all-star not only in the future, but also this season, and he went down with that freak foot and ankle injury. And, and he's back now, and... I think that for the Nets to really take that next step that everyone thinks that they're going to take and continue being that free agent destination that they could potentially be, I think Levert has to, these last 20-plus games and in, in their playoff series, prove that he's fully back from that injury and he is you know, that foundational building piece that everyone thought that he was at the beginning of this season. To me, it's a miracle that he's even playing this year considering what his ankle looked like when he got hurt. I, I think that's that's an interesting guy to highlight, and and my first guy to highlight is actually his teammate, D'Angelo Russell. He's going to be a restricted free agent after the season, and I think it'll be interesting to see what teams make a run at him, and ultimately the Nets could pay him, but I'm not sure, kind of given the free agent situation, who else they would be kind of looking at. Is it a Jimmy Butler, a Tobias Harris type? I know you think there's an outside chance Kevin Durant might sign there. I think that, that that that's increasing every day. By the way, with with as as the Nets keep winning. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think you're wrong, and I think the guy you mentioned, Terrace Levert, and he is kind of the key for the Nets if they want to be competitive in the first round of the playoffs. Right now, it looks like the Nets are best case scenario are going to get the sixth and could really wind up anywhere six through eight, depending on how 
how the chips fall. But I think Terrace LeVert, if he can return to his form earlier in the season, given how the Nets have kind of progressed in his absence, I think he he's the key uh, for Kenny Atkinson and, and the rest of the squad. But but getting back to D'Lo, you know, he obviously was kind of jettisoned by the Lakers. They kind of shipped him off in favor of Alonzo Ball. And like I said, he's going to be a free agent this summer. And I was kind of curious to get your thoughts because uh, I have a spot that I think would be a really good fit for him. Yeah, I think D'Lo should stay with the Nets because this is kind of where his career has has blossomed. He was he really struggled with the Lakers and they gave up on him pretty pretty quickly. And the and the Nets, this is where people he's people have you know really he's become the player that that people have thought he would be when he got drafted. And he's an all star. He's crushing it. He just had forty points the other night in a win against Charlotte. Um, I think he should stay with with Brooklyn because the the backcourt of him and Levert with Dinwiddie coming off the bench and adding a, a really big free agent on the wing along with Jared Allen and Cruz like this is a dangerous team in the East going forward and Russell's a huge part of that. Would you would you max him if you're Brooklyn? I would give him the restricted free agent max because he's also you know he's played a lot of games. He hasn't had the injury concerns to the degree that Levert has had. And I think that he is the type of guy that a free agent, in a similar way that Porzingis was for, for the Knicks, that he's that you know other all-star that a free agent, like you know probably more realistically, is Tobias Harris sees, hey, I'm going to go play with another all-star like D'Angelo Russell, who's young and is only going to get better. Imagine D'Angelo Russell and Victor Oladipo in Indiana. Yeah, you know, Indiana is, the, is that really interesting team where it feels like almost any point guard or any really good uh, guard or wing would just be awesome there with Oladipo and Sabonis and, and Turner. Like, in, Indiana is that team who I think is going to make a trade the way OKC did, ironically, because Paul George used to play for Indiana. But I think that they'll be that team that kind of comes out of nowhere and makes a move for one of these guys, and it's just going to be awesome. And and I love the idea of, of Russell on that team as well. Free agents do not sign in Indiana. They have it's a great basketball state, but a similar vein to you know a Milwaukee or or teams of that nature. Where I mean, I guess things can change now that they have Giannis, but historically players have not really wanted to go there in free agency. Yeah. So. They're, they're definitely a trade destination, as you said, and yeah. and and I think mainly is that the because Russell is going to be a restricted free agent, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I think that a team like Indiana may try to give him a huge offer sheet, but the Nets will. I think the Nets are going to match every whatever it takes and do the and do the KD sweepstake uh, sweepstakes first and then handle Russell. Because if they can get KD, I think Russell will be like, I definitely want to come play for the Nets and come back. It might even take a little bit of a discount. Speaking of discounts, so one of the guys you wanted to talk about signed a contract in Los Angeles a couple years ago, and he didn't take a discount. No, but, but you know, there's a lot of taxes in California and Los Angeles. So, so really, he wasn't, he wasn't making as, as much as, as his contract said, but... But Blake Griffin has just been awesome this year with uh, with Detroit, and he's been killing it, just killing it. And one of the things that that I love about him this year, and what I'm really looking forward to seeing more of this this last part of the season, is they've been using him a lot as a primary ball handler, 
and running a lot of pick and rolls with him coming off the as as him with the guy with the ball, and that is just an awesome offense. And Griffin's doing great with that, and and I would love to see that more as the season goes on because I think that could be a big thing that you see going forward just in just in the NBA itself. Yeah, I think it's an interesting pairing with he and Andre Drummond, kind of in a similar light to the big man pairing that we saw in New Orleans last year. No, nowhere near to the level, but a similar idea in that the Pelicans threw out AD and Boogie and the Pistons throw out Drummond and Griffin, and it's kind of an alternative style, old-fashioned. I, I don't love the pairing, and I think Detroit is kind of stuck in in a tough spot just because the contracts on their books, Reggie Jackson is getting paid way more than he's worth. Andre Drummond, I, I kind of look at him in a similar way as I look at Hassan Whiteside in that he puts up these numbers, but I'm not really sure how effective he is. And then Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin is arguably, he's probably top 10 MVP this year, just offensively. I mean, he's putting up 26 and he's shooting 36% from three, which is pretty impressive given that, he came into the league as basically strictly a dunker, so he's definitely transformed that part of his game. Do you, do you think Blake Griffin, I know Detroit doesn't really have a ton of options, and they're a team, like we mentioned with Indiana, that doesn't really attract free agents, but do you think they're happy with Blake, or do you think they kind of feel his contract is holding them down a bit? I think that they that they have to be thrilled with having a player like like Blake Griffin because because you know they just haven't really been able to build that that good of a team in recent years. Is that it seemed like the best they could do was getting to this seven or eight seed just to get killed by LeBron's Cavs in the first round of the playoffs, and now they have that piece that they can build around, and they have some interesting young players that I really wonder what they'll do with Andre Drummond going forward or if he has any value, but it seems like that they're, you know, talk about the, again, the guy that we just talked about last, but if, if you add D'Angelo Russell to this team, I think that'd be really interesting or, or Drew Holiday. So kind of like where this team going forward, because Griffin is that all-star that you can build around. So I think it's really finding that second player so they can really compete compete in the east and, and and i don't think his contract is that big of an issue because as you said before they're not attracting really other free agents so it's not like because of griffin's contract they're missing out on certain players in free agency you know yeah that's a good point there's really <laughs> there's no opportunity cost if you're if you're the pistons so so my second guy that i wanted to highlight is trey young he's always going to be kind of compared to luka Doncic just because of that draft day trade and given how Lucas played, that's kind of a tough comparison for Trey, but he's really improved his play of late. Through, through the first 30 games, Trey was shooting 38% overall, 25% from three, and 79% from the line. In these past 30 games, he's shooting 43% from the field, 38% from three, and 82% from the line. So he's really starting to figure these things out in his rookie season, which is huge. Because a lot of times these guys, it, it takes them a while to figure it out. They have their rookie season is just full of growing pains. Trey Young has kind of accelerated the learning curve. He, he's definitely not in Lucas class, but he's a tier below. And I think you can make the argument how he's played over these past 30 games that he's the second best rookie in the NBA this season. 
So, so you're saying that you think that Trey Young has been better than you know Jaron Jackson or, or Marvin Bagley? That that he's that second guy behind Luca? If he can sustain the play that he's had over the past thirty games, that he's in the discussion. I right now Trey Young take out the rookie qualifier, he's fifth in the NBA in assists. Yeah, I mean he's a very good passer. Right, and in, in February he put up twenty one and nine, twenty one points and nine assists on forty percent from three. And yeah, the Hawks suck, but he—I think he's learning kind of how to be effective in the NBA. He's—he's he's limiting part of the reason he, he was shooting twenty-five percent in the first thirty games. He was shooting some threes that were preposterously deep. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest thing that that you said has been the real difference for him is is what you said is that improving his shot selection has been really key. Is because the Hawks because the Hawks stink and. But that doesn't mean that he has to do things that will make them worse almost by taking just horrendously deep three-pointers. And he and you're right that he's figuring out the NBA game. And, and it's funny because most players kind of do this in reverse, which is that they, that they come out strong to start the year and then they hit the wall and then they start declining. And kind of young started off weak and then has improved as the season has has gone along, which, which I think is really interesting and probably bodes well for the future, not only for himself but for the Hawks, is that this guy might actually be a true foundational piece. Yeah, I think that's an interesting and, and, and good point that you made there because in college, a lot of these guys only play 30 games. His first 30, he didn't play great. And the second 30, he's kind of he's found a new gear. So that's, that's definitely encouraging. The last guy I wanted to talk about, Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley was riding the pine for pretty much his first couple years in the league, and this year he's he's shining for the Nuggets. He's he's putting up twelve points a game, which isn't huge, but just kind of the the added dimension, added punch that he's given the team with with Jokic and and Jamal Murray and Gary Harris on the wing. Will Barton returned recently as well, but I think Malik Beasley is the X factor for the Nuggets to potentially get the one seed and challenge the Warriors in the playoffs. He's very explosive offensively. Defensively, he can guard pretty much one through four. And I think home court for the Nuggets is absolutely huge in the playoffs. The altitude, they have one of the best home records in the league. Yeah, you know, he's definitely proven to be a real role, a real role player for the Nuggets this year. And it's kind of interesting because he was a guy who at Florida State, you know, was very inconsistent, but but you saw the potential, and that was kind of what was going on in his first, in his in the beginning parts of his NBA career as well. But kind of like with Trey Young, is that this guy has you know, he's figured it out. And I think it's hard sometimes to remember that a lot of these guys when they're drafted, they're they're nineteen year old kids, and and it's really different playing as a nineteen year old in the NBA than as a twenty one or, or twenty two year old. So a lot of times we label these guys as bus or are forgettable players because they're not setting the world on fire because they're not Luka Doncic level players who can dominate at a really young age. But, and most guys in the NBA are role players and not superstars. So I think it takes a couple years for a lot of these guys to mature and be real professionals and work on their games to get to a point where they can be like Malik Beasley. And like you said, be a really important role player for one of the three best teams in, in the Western conference. Yeah. And I mean, quietly the nuggets, their front office has done a great job. They have one of the best overall rosters in the NBA, and this is not even to mention Michael Porter Jr., who's pretty much taken a redshirt year. 
their, their team is just so deep and so really well built that they're probably their top two assets are Jokic and Jamal Murray, but it feels like almost everyone else is, is at that same level because they all do so much for the team that that I think it's hard to it's hard to put a true price tag on all of them because they're all just really valuable because they're all just such co- cohesive parts to the team. No doubt, and I, th- I think that's a good place to wrap it up for today. And before we wrap up, I just want to shout out, you know, Harry Raffrey again on his on his great debut for the Sioux Falls Sky Force Thursday night and just crushing it and living out all of our all of our hoop dreams here at the Double Double Podcast. Couldn't have said any better. Go Sky Force. Go Sky Force. So that's that'll do it for episode five of the Double Double, and we'll catch you next time.